1: Good morning and welcome in to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst, Cooper Techno alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting, Andrew Ivins, and Producer Lance Glenn, as always, on Wednesday's, Wednesday mornings. It is a mailbag episode, which means we got four or five questions that we get to get to here over the next 45 minutes to an hour. We get to discuss a little bit of Urban Meyer. We'll talk about Michigan State. Is that happening? Matt Rule, to rebuild the expectations. There, we'll talk a little bit about Aiden Breland and get to some more questions as well. But Lance, it's your last week. I'll I'll, I'll get started with you. It's it's mailbag. You come in earlier in the week. You're a little out of sorts. It's an emotional week for you. Now you look good. You got a haircut. You got the beard trimmed. Well,
2: I haven't you're getting ready
1: for the New York Stock Exchange, my friend. Yeah.
2: Well, like I told you guys, I gotta I gotta look a little bit nicer now than I had looked previously, um, working from home has its benefits. One of those is that I, you know, get to wear shirt and shorts. Uh, unfortunately with this new position I'm taking, I no longer get to wear shirt and shorts. I have to, you know, look presentable. Uh, so with that being said, uh, I did get my eyebrows waxed this morning, have a haircut coming soon, plan on shaving as well, you know, cleaning everything up to make sure I look like I'm ready to take on wall street and then I'm going to get going.
1: First rule of Wall Street, got to get the eyebrows waxed.
2: It's like the the old cliche, right? Look good, play good sort of thing. Well, I guess it'll now become like look good, work good, or look good, impress everyone else. Um, You got to have those good first impressions. And the last thing I want to do is have a negative one. So I almost had a negative one with, with our boss, Adam Stanko, real quick story. The first time I ever came to Nashville, I got off a plane. And I showed up in the office wearing a Giants T-shirt and black shorts, and I've been getting heat from Adam Stanko about that to this day. So I need to make sure my first day on the job I don't show up in a Giants T-shirt and black shorts. I need to look good. I need to impress, and that's that's my goal.
1: I am a little uh, I am a little worried about you. So if you need some help in terms of what you're going to wear to work on your first day. Please send Andrew and I a picture of what you got laid out on your bed like, you know, I used to do when I was in first grade getting ready for school.
2: Well, I plan so what, on, what do you, what do
1: you? Yeah, what do you have planned here?
2: Well, so I plan on next week because uh, I have a week in between. So I plan on next week going to lunch with my grandmother and then also in that same process going shopping with my grandmother. You know, it's always nice to, to, to have your family sort of spend some money on you uh, to help you get better, and to help you prepare for the job to come. So uh, I plan on getting all my outfits over the next uh, week or so. And uh, I will definitely send you guys a little picture of uh, like a first day photo shoot. Maybe I'll get a board that says like, Lance Glenn, how old are you? Oh, 27 years old. This is my first day. What am I looking forward to? What do I want to be in five years? You know, one of those little boards that like a second grader holds up. I'll get one and I'll uh, take a picture and and, and post it.
1: Pulling me off the bench, huh? Buy some clothes. <laughs> I love much. that. I
2: have to. I have Drew, what and about I you, man? With, hold on. I love hold getting lunch with my grandma. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do.
1: Right. And if, you,
3: if you're going to ask if I've got my eyebrows waxed, the no, I, I wasn't going to
1: ask about that. I was going to ask, are we? Uh, how do we feel? We went and saw the Panthers last night, correct? Are we mm-hmm. one and o or we want to know or 0-1? I know
3: it's Pre-se- preseason. Preseason, man. Uh, weird game, like the. uh Boards kind of broke in the second period with four minutes left, so they're like, oh, I, it's gonna, the glass shatter?" Uh, just kind of came off, and mm-hmm. they're like, "Yeah, we're just gonna call it, call this period early and take a intermission now." Never seen that before. uh No, it was, it was fun, man. But uh, I'm ready to get into this mailbag. I like the questions, even though I think the first question you sent, Lance, is it still is it still obtained Does it still? Well, we're gonna it?
2: we're gonna preface it. We're gonna preface everything, or at least that first question with what's transpired since, but, uh, Coop, do I have the, okay to start the mailbag? You,
1: you have my permission. All right. All
2: right. So the first question I'll preface it by saying Bruce Feldman of the athletic came out this morning and said that urban Meyer is not interested in the Michigan state job. There were reports that he potentially was interested in the job and was talking to Michigan state. But again, Bruce Feldman has come out and said that he is not interested and is very happy with what he's doing with Fox sports, but let's play a little hypothetical hypothetical game here, right? It's always fun to, to think about certain things if they broke one way or another. So what do you think of urban Meyer in Michigan state? If he were still a candidate for that position, do you think he could rebuild that program and turn it into a championship contender? And again, he said, he's not a candidate. But a little bit of a hypothetical here. Do you think if he were to take over at Michigan State, he could turn that program around, recruit at the high level he's done his whole career, and build them into a championship contender?
1: It blew my mind to find out that Urban Meyer is only 59 years old. I I didn't think that. But, I mean, you go back to his days at Florida. At the end of his tenure there, small field stuff. I don't really want to get into. And then you go to Ohio state, he's having issues, health issues. It just seems that everywhere he goes, there's some drama that follows him. Same thing in Jacksonville, like with the way that he treated the kicker over there. And then there's a lot of other stories as well. I don't think the players were particularly happy with urban Meyer. So long story short, I kind of look at urban Meyer the same way. I kind of look at Greg Shiano would he be a stabling force for Michigan State during a period of turmoil in the program? Yes, I think he would raise the floor of that program. I think he would get them back on the the right track. Lance, the way that you prefaced the question was, can he make Michigan State a championship caliber program again? I think that is a big job. I think that is going to take time to turn over that program. And I think it's going to take a lot of years of investment. I don't think Urban Meyer has that energy or has that runway to do that. And I think where Urban Meyer is with his reputation right now, it's not the same Urban Meyer that he used to be at Ohio State. So I know Bruce Feldman kind of shot some holes in this this morning and said that this is not going to happen. And and Urban Meyer is happy at Fox, which I think is the right play for Urban Meyer. I just think this job is going to require a lot and uh to, to flip this program around. And I think if Urban Meyer brought his formula, I think he would have some success, but I don't think it would be at the level that Michigan State fans long term uh would want. So yeah, I, I I'm glad he kind of took his name out of the race because I, I don't think he is I think it could work. I don't think it could work at the the level that Michigan State fans are hoping it would.
3: Yeah, I, I could see it, but I don't think it's realistic. So, not surprised that that was uh the embers were were extinguished pretty fast there. Kind of not surprised that there were some reports out there. I mean, that is uh one way to certainly get clicks and and drive up uh different storylines and look we're here talking about it for me he's just been out of the game for a little bit like what what would his coaching staff look like i think that would kind of be the key to the rebuild there you know who's going to work for him go back to his staffs at ohio state florida i mean a lot of those guys are are head coaches at in certain places um. So, I, you know, how many how many of his soldiers does he really have out there that are going to come work for him? Now, I think he can make some good hires, but, you know, inside coaching circles, do you want to go work for Urban? I think that's certainly a question. And then the other thing, he's been away from the game. I mean, go back to 2018, 2017, when he was finishing up at Ohio State. The transfer portal is not what it is now. NIL wasn't even a thing. And I believe, I was doing some reading this morning, Urban Meyer is on the board for Ohio State's collective, so he's been involved in that median. Um, but it's just a different game from when when Urban was who he was at the collegiate game. So I don't think it would be the right answer for Michigan State. Coop. I think you bring up some good points. Like, it, yes, could it work? Sure. I just think it's not a match made in heaven
1: you think about it it's like florida ohio state jacksonville jaguar like does he have another program turnaround in him guy's a winner i mean went 83 and 9 at ohio state 65 and 15 at florida in six years 22 and 2 at utah he is a really good college coach Drew, you mentioned that the game has changed a lot since 2018. I can't even begin to think of all the changes that have happened to college football. Now, the good thing is it's not like Urban Meyer has been in a cabin in the woods, right? He's had a front row seat to it the entire time as he's been working with Fox and then obviously had the, the short stand in the NFL. So, Well, do you,
3: do you think he's looking at it and he knows what's going on, just the current demands? how crazy the roster construction is, how how crazy it is keeping your players happy. And he's going, I, I don't know if I want to get involved in that. I, I think there could be
1: some of that. He seems like somebody who's pretty in tune, you know, like he's, he's sharp when you hear him talk about a lot of these topics. I, I think what you said about who wants to work for Urban Meyer is legitimate. You talked to some people who work for Urban Meyer who now work for Ryan day. It's like, I don't even think they'd entertain that.
3: Right. So so w- w- like who are his coordinators? You know.
1: Well, that's yeah, that that's a legitimate question. Not not to say that he can't go out there and find those guys. Chris Ash. I think 5 years ago it would have been pick of the litter. Right? And now it's it's not, you know, like now there're going to be some conversations where you're going to have to convince some people and
3: and I and I think the biggest thing is it's not I mean, man, it it would be a, a multi-year rebuild before I think you're seeing the on-field results. Like you're you're tearing it down to the studs and building it up.
1: And then you're 62, you're 63, and you're in an era of college football that has more going on in a higher stress environment than where you were in 2017, 2018 at Ohio State where we saw Urban Meyer on the sidelines where it was like, man, I'm not sure how much longer this guy can coach. Right. And you're going to put him back in that environment. I don't think so. I think he's making the right move, kind of hanging it up. And I think if you're Michigan state, it's like, it's a retread, you know, like, listen, you don't want to be in this situation. It is what it is. You almost want like a guaranteed winner. I get that. But I think you got to be creative and you got to go through a very diligent, stringent, interview process to find the right guy that fits you at the end of the day. So some more wounds ahead, I think, in East Lansing, but I don't think this is the answer, even if it is the low-hanging fruit.
2: Look, I think if you're Michigan State, I think if they do reach out to him or if they already did reach out to him, I think it's the smart thing to do. It doesn't hurt to you know pick up the phone, make the phone call, see if there is any mutual interest there. Not saying if he said, yes, I want to come coach Michigan State, he's automatically the hire. But I do think it's always smart to at least, you know, call around and, and see if there is any potential uh, match there between Urban Meyer and the Spartans. But again, according to Bruce Feldman of The Athletic, uh, <laughs> he spoke with Urban Meyer, and it doesn't seem like Urban Meyer has any interest in taking the Michigan State job based on what he told Bruce. Let's stay in the Big Ten for well, an hour. Last thing, time. Lance. Sorry. That had to be a say. heck heck of an
1: easy scoop for Bruce there, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean – Rights for Foxes. I should say retro Fox as well. Uh, or right. Fox sports. Uh, what a yeah. Um, I'm sure he and urban have talked plenty of times and, uh, yeah, good scoop though, because again, there were some reports yesterday and the days before that Michigan state and urban Meyer were potentially a match. And if you look on Spartan tailgate, our Michigan state, 24, seven site, Michigan State fans were saying, oh, if Urban Meyer comes, I'll donate 100 bucks every month to NIL right away, blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm all in on Urban. Uh, but it does seem like those hopes have been squashed. It does not seem that Urban Meyer will be the next head coach of Michigan State, and that search thus continues. Let's stay in the Big Ten for a second question. Where are your expectations in terms of rebuild length for Matt Rule and Nebraska now compared to when he took the job during the off season and Nebraska has had an up and down start to his tenure for a variety of reasons. I think they said two and three or maybe three and two, but nevertheless uh, expectations are low and it seems like it will be uh, quite the rebuild for Matt rule there in Lincoln.
1: It appears year three is a year for Matt rule, right? You go back, you look at Matt rule at temple two and 10 in his first year, six and six in his second year, 10 and four, In his third year, 10 and three in his fourth year. Then at Baylor, 111 in his first year, 7 and six in his second year, 11 and three in his third year before off to the Carolina Panthers. Nothing about what we've seen from Nebraska this year is surprising to me. So I, I think Nebraska is on track. I don't think their recruiting is reflective of what we've seen on the field. I actually think they're doing a good job there. I like what they've done talked about Daniel Kalen, Carter Nelson, Malachi Coleman the year before. Drew, I like what they're doing. I kind of see the up arrow ascending there. I think it's going to be similar to what we've seen in the past at Baylor, at Temple. I think year three is going to be the year for for Matt Rule and Nebraska fans where you're hoping to kind of see them pop and maybe get to eight to nine wins.
3: Well, they've been pretty snake bit by injuries here in in 2023. Obviously, Jeff Sims is out, but Missing some running backs. When I look at Nebraska in the long term outlook, my big question is: All right, what's the plan at quarterback? That—that's what I want to know. Like, what, like, what, what is next season's plan? What's twenty twenty four? What's what's twenty twenty five? They have Daniel Kalen committed here in the twenty twenty four cycle. Elite eleven finalist, guy that moved into the top two, four, seven for us. Watch one of his games. I like what he brings to the table, but I think he's a guy that's going to need some time. You know, what are they looking for in 2025? Are they going to go into the transfer portal? You read Husker 247. I, I did a few weeks ago, a name that was tossed around a bunch. I saw a few threads on there where Zane Flores, former elite 11 quarterback at Oklahoma state. I don't think he's got onto the field there. Um, you know, is he a guy that enters the portal and, and, Nebraska is there, ready to pounce on him. That would get me excited, but that—that's that's kind of my question. Like quarterback, I think what's also interesting, Cooper, is Nebraska really isn't playing a lot of guys from this transition class for Matt Rule. It, it ranked 25th. Um, Cam Linhart, he's been in the field, uh, but Malachi Coleman, he didn't get any snaps against uh, against Michigan. I just thought we'd see maybe more of a a youth movement here right away. And maybe it happens on, on the back end of the season. Um, but I think it's, it's, you're absolutely right. I think it's going to take some time. I think this is, this is a throwaway year. And then, you know, you're going to see more of a, quote unquote, his guys in the two deep in, in 2024. And then by 2025, you, you would hope for it being a lot of them. I think they're going to be active once again in the transfer portal. I think that's going to be huge. You know where they really need need an influx of talent. Just from an outsider looking in, is that that wide receiver position in addition to quarterback? Like they, they need to get some skilled talent in there. Um, and if you're a Nebraska fan, I think it probably stung over the weekend seeing Omari Miller earn Pac-12 Freshman of the Week honors at, at Colorado. I mean that was a guy that was committed to you. Um, I think up until the week after Matt Rule was hired, and maybe he didn't fit what they wanted to do there at Nebraska, but that's just kind of my look at, at it. And then when you dig into the 2024 recruiting class, I audited that last week. I think it's it's 23rd in the rankings, but I think it's more guys that are going to need seasoning. I, I'm not sure I see many impact day one guys of, of that group of 26 commits. We're going
1: to take a quick break. You're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast.
0: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
2: Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Remember, of course, if you want your questions answered, make sure to send them in via five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, or of course, you can send them in on Twitter too. All right, Aiden Breland, five-star, the highest ranked uncommitted prospect right now in the 2024 class is set to announce on October 14th. So in just over a week, his top three is Georgia, Miami, and Oregon. So which school do you think of those three is the best fit for defensive lineman Aiden Breeland out of Modern Day in California?
3: I'm interested to see what Cooper says here.
2: I
1: mean, best fit, I think all, all three of them you could make a really good argument for. I love what Miami's doing on the defensive line. You know, you think about kind of that young nucleus that they have over there really kind of starting with Ruben Bain, Colin Zaki and Pong. I know he hadn't gotten run, but I'm, I'm really excited about kind of his long-term outlook. You got Armando Blunt, right? In 2025 class. He has not reclassed yet, right, Drew? That is. Yeah.
3: He has not reclassed. I, I thought you were going to say Marquise Lightfoot. Marquise the-
1: Lightfoot as well, right? So I know there are some other names that, you know, I'm missing out on. You kind of stick Aiden Breland in the middle of that. Miami's kind of scary there. Georgia, I think we all know um what they're capable of, especially when it comes to defensive line recruiting. I'm actually going to go, I'm going to preface the question a little bit differently. I know that wasn't the way that I was asked, but I think the team that could use him the most and is making him a priority is probably Oregon. You know, and I think for Oregon, this is this is an important recruitment. And Andrew and I talked about it yesterday. It's also notable USC is not in this recruitment. There's only one program out west that is in it for a top 10 player in the country. At a point of attack player on the defensive line. And you would think Oregon, USC, you can throw Washington in there, UCLA. With these guys heading to the Big Ten, this guy would be a huge priority. And it's like, how many times does this have to happen? And I'm not even talking about a point-of-attack player going east, but some of the best talent on the West Coast. And the only resistance you have is Oregon. So I think Oregon, for them, it's, it's important. You know, Jordan Burch coming over from South Carolina. Mateo ua Ongalale, right, was a big get for them late in the cycle last year. Josh Connerly a couple years ago on the offensive side of the ball. Johnny Cornelius coming over from R- Rhode Island. They, they have started to assimilate their identity at the point of attack, and I think Aiden Breeland only adds to that. And I think this is a huge one for Oregon. And for Aiden Breeland himself, I know staying close to home is kind of on his his radar here as he gets closer to making a decision. I think Oregon gives him the, the best of both worlds there.
3: Well, I don't think there is a a wrong answer for either three of these finalists, um, and it seems like every time we get tossed one of these questions, I, I think if I'm sitting at the table with Aiden Breland and, and advising him, hey, you know, you, you want to make the NFL, I think Georgia is the place for you. You want to be pushed the most, you want to have to fight for every snap you're going to get. And I think, I think Georgia, Miami, to me, when you look at their two D and what they have done, Leonard Taylor. Probably going to leave this up after this upcoming season for the NFL draft. You consistently consistently see his name mocked in the first round. I think Aiden Breland, Miami, would play him early. I mean, Mario Cristobal has shown since he has arrived in Coral Gables, he's not afraid to, you know, let some of these young guys get get burned up front. You you brought up Ruben Bain. Uh, We saw a little of Nigel Lee Kelly when he was a freshman, and then with Jason Taylor there. I mean, getting the chance to to learn from him, I I don't think he can go wrong with those. I I think Miami, having spent a little time around Aiden Breland and and, and talked with him, like I think he would fit kind of what what the scene is there at 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 the U. Um, Colorado, you know, just with what Dan Lanning is doing and and their defensive front, like I, I don't think he's got a bad option here. If I had to pick one. I think maybe the best fit would be uh, Miami.
1: Drew, I'll say this. I think one of the biggest coaching hires of this last cycle was Jason Taylor to Miami.
3: It's been impressive to see him as a recruiter, man. I've uh, crossed paths with him a few times on, on the trail. And like, a guy, he's a guy like, sometimes when you hire these former NFL stars or guys that have been on the other side, like they don't want to recruit, and Jason Taylor seems like he wants to recruit. I mean, when I went to see LJ McRae last month, Miami had played the night before on a Thursday night, and like it was that would have been a three and a half hour drive for him. Like he drove there, you know, in his nice luxury SUV, and then he was like, Yep, I'm leaving. I, I we got a staff meeting at 6 a.m. Like some of those guys don't want that grind, and Jason Taylor, um. He seems to be all about
1: it. I mean, he's changed the complexion of that room. And I'll say this, you know, I work with Joe Salavea, who's also there in Miami, working with the defensive line. It's nothing against Joe Salavea, deserves credit as well, but that room has seen a uptick in terms of the talent that they've attracted since Jason Taylor's been there. And honestly, the way that Miami has recruited the offensive line, you talk about Malanoa, you talk about Samson Lola a lot of other pieces that they're really excited about. They bring over Matt Lee in the transfer portal. I think they're always going to be a factor there. Mario is always going to be invested on the offensive side of the ball when it comes to the point of attack. For him to have that on the defensive side of the ball, and you're talking about, I mean, think about some of the names, Andrew, that we talked about. Ruben Bain, Armando Blunt, Artavius Jones, Marquise Lightfoot. Now you're in it with Aiden Breland. It's a legit, it's a legit, legit front four, you know, and that can change really Miami holistically because I don't think they're going to have issues recruiting guys like Zaquan Patterson and what we've seen on the offensive side of the ball at the skill positions either, you know, so I don't know. They're they're a super fascinating program to me right now.
2: Do you think, Andrew, and Kabri and too, what is Jason Taylor's coaching trajectory look like? Like, do you think if you are a group of five school, right, you see what he's doing at Miami in terms of recruiting. Do you take a chance if you have an opening, maybe not this cycle, but maybe next off season, the following coaching cycle, or do you eventually see him maybe going the defensive coordinator out, not necessarily in Miami, but somewhere, and then trying to work his way into a power five job after being a defensive coordinator for a year or two, where do you see sort of his coaching trajectory going?
3: You know, that's kind of fascinating you bring it up, right? Because I think our outlook on on coaches has changed, just what Dion has done and how he's assembled things. He's kind of gone the unconventional route. Jason Taylor was the defensive coordinator at St. Thomas Aquinas, prior to being hired at at Miami as an analyst and then moving on to an on-field coaching role when he was at STA I mean right right by where I live I went to a number of games like he was fully engaged I mean up and down the sideline signaling plays loudest voice um out there and I remember talking to a few different power five coaches that were out on the road recruiting and, and one of them told me, hey, when he's ready, he's going to have his 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 pick of of the jobs, his his arrow is pointing up. So I haven't thought about it like that in terms of, you know, could he be a head coach? I certainly think he could be a coordinator, a defensive coordinator somewhere. And um, I, you know, when is the time going to come? He was waiting to leave STA. Uh, and he was waiting for his two sons to finish it up. He's got Mason Taylor obviously at LSU and then his other sons playing safety at Arizona. So that's a that's a that's a fun name to to kind of think about.
1: I think you and I talked about it at one point. You said he was pretty comfortable, right? In terms of being at Miami and you know, being a defensive line coach. And this is still a relatively new opportunity for him. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's happy living there. I mean, he was a Hall of famer for the Miami Dolphins. This might just be a the right job for him, you know, and I think he could essentially be the equivalent of Brian Hartline at Ohio State for Miami on the defensive line, you know, so I think from a continuity standpoint, I think miami being a position coach, recruiting that state, having the connections that you have down there, it's very attractive. That being said, there's a lot to like about Jason Taylor if you want to start to get into that conversation of hey do we think this guy has the chops to be a defensive coordinator do we think this guy has the chops to one day be a head coach I think those are really intriguing conversations I think that noise is only going to grow louder and louder as his name starts to become more of a household name I think one to two years from now you're starting to see these guys he's pulling off the trail and then all of a sudden there's going to be eyes looking at Jason Taylor and saying all right what's the next step which is it's kind of been that way for Heartline, right? I, I don't think anybody was looking at Heartline, getting ready to pencil him in as a coordinator. Now he has that opportunity under Ryan Day at Ohio State. And now he's being thrown in for potential head coaching opportunities. And I don't know. It's 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 fascinating to see where that could go. But I could see a, a very similar tra- trajectory there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be interesting to watch him move up the ladder where he ends up, obviously a kid who, or a kid, I say a kid. Uh, obviously, uh, when he was in college, went to Akron, uh, I think from from up north too, or he's, in the northeast from, too. So
3: he's from he's from Pittsburgh. You
2: Pittsburgh. wonder, uh, obviously, it seems to have made his uh, planted his roots. Obviously, playing for the Dolphins for so long, as well as uh, you know having sons and play at St. Thomas Aquinas. Now with Miami, seems to have planted his roots in Florida. But if he ever wanted to make a move back up north. Uh, you wonder if a school like Akron would ever give him a call depending on Joe Moorhead's uh, tenure there and what ends up happening with that. One more question to go, uh, curious to see what your answers are for these or for this question, I should say, uh, is there a school that has underwhelmed you the most in 2024 on the trail compared to the expectations you had for their class going into the cycle?
1: I'm going to start with a program that I hold very dear to my heart. Uh, I'm going to go with Washington. You know, they're sitting at number 46 right now. This is probably the best team that they have had since 2016. Might be even better. You got Michael Penix, obviously the transfer at quarterback. In the thick of it, Heisman contention. Roma Dunze working himself day in and day out into that number one. Uh, number one draft choice in terms of him working into a day one draft pick in the NFL. Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, really strong offensive line. Their defense is playing really complimentary ball. And we're sitting here at number 46 with more than 90% of the top 247 already committed with three months until early signing day, three months and change. 14 commitments ranked number 46. They're heading to the Big Ten. I love Kalen DeBoer. He's an excellent coach. That that ain't good enough, you know. And it just seems like one of those things where it's like, all right, what's next? You know, and I'm excited about their future. They got Austin Mack, who I'm a huge believer in. Jeremy Bernard comes over in the transfer portal. But once this this Troy Fatanu, Roger Rosengarten, Jalen McMillan, Roma Dunze, Jalen, Jalen Polk, Michael Penix, they're they're all gone after this year. What's coming in to replace them? And I don't think the urgency on the recruiting trail has matched the results on the field. And that is extremely disappointing to me. Um, so UW is, you know, one of those programs, like I always talk about like Shane Beamer, South Carolina, them winning seven games in his first year and then last year at Capital, like Their recruiting urgency matches what they've done on the field. And you have the wind at your back when you're in this national spotlight. In two weeks, more than likely, college game day is coming up to Seattle. And that's supposed to be the time that you have been working body blows on recruits and their families to, to get to this point. It's a culmination. We said we would be in this spot. Here we are, top 10 matchup versus Oregon at home. Unbelievable environment. Can't remember the last time it would be like this. Middle of October, there's no better time to showcase Seattle. And it's like, well, what's what's next? What do we got coming in that we're excited about? I don't know. So that one to me is perplexing. Um, but I'm not surprised. And I talked about UW. They should be a top 20, top 20 now, not top 25, top 20 recruiting program in the country with everything they have to sell and now going to the Big Ten. You know, so UW is the the first name that pops up for me. And, you know, USC is the other one. Andrew, they're sitting at 18 right now. Like USC, to me, when Lincoln Riley got there, was two to three recruiting classes away from getting this thing right. He took a really bad roster, flipped it in a year, won, what, 10, 11 games last year in his first season? Undefeated this year, but they can't stop a nosebleed. They're not not a serious contender. What are they doing about it defensively? Have they moved the needle enough? No. So I look at USC as one of those teams, and the other team that I'm not, like, I'm just bringing a little bit of attention to And I know they're still in the thick of it with a lot of top targets, but Texas, Texas is here right now because they were in the top five of the recruiting rankings the last two years. You're sitting at 15 right now. As a former personnel guy, the stuff that pisses me off more than anything is, is when you look at a prior class or two and say, you know what? I like what we had before us. Well, how does Georgia win every year? Georgia's got the number one class in the country. It's not even close. When's the last time Georgia fell out of the top five? Have they been outside of the top five since 2018? I don't think so. You want to know the secret sauce? It's like the oldest thing we always say. It's about the Jimmys and Joes, not the X's and O's. The moment you start to believe it's about your process, player development, what you do as a head coach and your staff, you're done. It's all about the players. It's all about Michael Penix. It's all about Roma Dunze. It's all about Jalen McMillan. It's all about these dudes. Your job is to put them in the best position to be successful. Steve Sarkeesian, Kalen DeBoer, Lincoln Riley are the best at what they do, especially when it comes to offense. But it's about the ponies at the end of the day. You got to have the ponies to win the race, right? It's not about the jockey. So, yeah, the three, the three that I'm looking at that say I'm gonna give them a nudge. Let's go pick it up. Those three.
2: The last time Georgia was outside the top five was 2016. They finished sixth.
1: How how ridiculous is that? Hey,
3: on Washington, did you see Michael Penix and Rome Undunze, I think are the first athletes that Adidas assigned to some NIL deals. Just kind of talk about that. that. Yeah. I mean, they're a flagship program for the three stripes, correct?
1: Yeah. Especially on the West coast. Yeah. You
3: know, I just, you know, kind of going along with what you're saying. I had, I had circled them. I had circled Texas. I think we've talked or hinted at Texas, maybe in the emergency reaction pod after Brandon Baker, but you look at what they did last year. And I think the expectation coming into to this year was that it was going to be a smaller group, but you know, I, I feel like there's there's more out there. And there are some targets. Solomon Williams, an edge rusher from Florida, Kobe Black, safety from in state defensive back. I mean, there there are still some pieces out there, but I would agree with that one. I would agree with Washington. Who was the third one you threw out there? USC. We talked about them previously. Think they need to get it going instead of just relying so heavily on the transfer portal. Uh, I'm going to toss out two more. Utah sitting – where are they in the rankings? They're like all the way down at – where are they at? 66th. Last year they finished 20th in the composite. I mean, this is a program that's won back-to-back Pac-12 championships. They Um, are
1: late risers, Drew. That is the one thing about them that they've always – I I
3: know they are late risers. But look at some of the, the blue chip guys they did pull in last cycle. And 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 they they're playing, um. Yeah, I, I I just it's surprising to see where they are right now. We'll see if they can pick it up. Now, when you look at their 2024 class, there are some some guys that I like. I think Isaiah Garcia, left tackle. If I'm a Ute fan, I'd be fired up about him. Just just buzzed him. They got Isaac Wilson, younger brother of Zach Wilson, um, right only 10 commits right now. Kansas state was another one that I, that I wrote down big 12 championship last year, finished 33rd, got a guy like Avery Johnson in the boat. Uh, I know that they kind of are more of a, a player development program, but you look at the wildcats and they're 92nd right now with seven commits. I think they're another kind of late riser. Um, but those are those are the ones i i flagged in addition to texas i'm i'm kind of looking scrolling down I, the rankings can i
1: can i throw one out there yeah i mean it, it, it's not similar to kansas state it's not like these guys have been world beaters right um but i i i have expected more matt campbell and iowa state you know it's been it's been um been a tough season for them but I mean this is this is a program that prides themselves on player development, but I also thought for a while there at least early in Matt Campbell's tenure that there was a little bit of uptick in recruiting. and then we just haven't we haven't seen it. I don't, I don't really see them in the mix for anybody that's at least notable on the national scale. You know, which is fair. Any 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 Iowa state fan would push back on that and I understand why they would, but it's just like
3: No, I I don't know. It feels like every every cycle they're kind of in it for a a blue chipper. And that's not really the case here in in 2024. All right. On the flip side, anyone you think is is exceeding expectations. I mean, I know we're shooting from the hip.
1: Florida to me. For yeah. sure. I, I think you look at Florida, the job that they've done. They've been um, – I mean, Drew, you kind of go down their commit list a little bit. It, it gets you excited. Jamonte Waller at the top. Xavier Same from Texas. Lagway, who's had an excellent year. Miles Graham, really good football player. Darius Hayes, Amaris Williams. I mean, the list kind of goes on and on. They're a super fascinating group, top to bottom. They've done an outstanding job. Um, Florida State it excites me right because we know what they're capable of year in and year out when it comes to the transfer portal so to see them in the top 10 ranked at number 6 that's exciting um what about outside of that what yeah, about go
3: Texas ahead. A&M at 3 i mean yes they signed the highest ranked recruiting class ever a few years ago but last year was an on-field disaster and i know they've they have found their stride here in 2023. I think it's still notable that they are propped up sitting third in the rankings right now. I mean, I, I thought it would be a little bit more difficult to recruit.
1: AM's one of those teams between new era of college football, NIL. I mean, you go to college stations, kind of got like this magnetic type of feel to it in, it, in its own individual way a m to me, should be right there where they are. Maybe not at number three, but I think they should be five to ten every year. I think they're fully capable of doing this. And then from a resource investment standpoint, it doesn't surprise me. You know, um, I wonder if we'll see a trend in terms of this is what you see from A M every other year than every year. It's where they finished last year, mid-teens, right? It was a smaller class, but. You know, they took, I want to say, over 30 players that year in 2022 when they had the number one class in the country.
3: Yeah, then they took 18 last year and finished 15th.
1: There you go. Which is, take 18 players and still have a top 15 class. Still a lot of talent.
3: Yeah, pound for pound, it's pretty good.
1: Right. So, I'm not shocked by, by what they're doing. I think they're fully capable of doing what they're doing right now. Outside of that, I think it's a good sign for for South Carolina. I think South Carolina fans are probably at the point where like, hey, we want to show up on the field. But it's a good sign that Shane Beamer's got these guys like consistently in the mix of a top 25 class since he's been there.
3: I would agree. I think they make really strong evaluations early on, and that helps.
1: I'll say this as well. Ole Miss, not typically known for what they do at the high school level. They got a lot to like, man. So Camarian Franklin, Jeffrey Rush, Cameron Beavers, Norrell White, Trevor Jackson, intriguing guy. He's got a ways to go. TJ Banks from Alabama. The list kind of goes on and on. William Eccles, a guy that we like a lot. So they've done a they've done a legit job kind of marrying up what they've done in the transfer portal, with what they've done in high school thus far as well.
2: My final mailbag question in the books, Cooper, my final mailbag episode. In the books, Ivans. I'll send it back to you guys,
1: Drew. Last uh, last thing for you. It, you might not be as um, cued in on them, and I, I'm not either. I'm just Clemson at 16. There's been so much talk about Dabo Sweeney and philosophy, and here they are, 16, 17 commitments. He's taken two players from the transfer portal in the last two years. So let's just go ahead and say let's let's assume he's going to continue to to stay that route, right? How do you feel about Clemson, their future, how they're progressing, and how they're recruiting just high school?
3: I like the group. I, I just – like I think Clemson now, when you look at the recruiting class, you have to view it through the lens of like, hey, is this guy going to be ready to go, you know, relatively early? I mean, how many, how many from the, the 23 cycle are on the field? I, I look – and I, they're not going to get all day one ready to go, guys. But Sammy Brown, the headliner in the class, I think he could see the field as a freshman. TJ Moore, wide receiver commit, you know, I, I I think he's someone that could be in the rotation. Ricardo Jones, you know, safety commit out of Georgia, just buzzed him. I think it's a good blend of of high floor, and then they got some high ceiling prospects in there as well. I mean, they have two six foot seven defensive linemen uh, committed in Darian Mayo uh, and Adam Kissia. like I, I, I respect the class at least parts of it. And I, I, don't know if you feel the same way. No, I think it would
1: require some more digging, you know, on my end, but Sammy Brown is kind of like who Clemson has always been. I feel like, you know, super high floor player, obviously a guy that we like a lot. Number five in the country. Currently Brian Wesco. I'm a huge fan of TJ Moore. I know you like a lot. So, seems like they're kind of getting back to the roots especially at receiver you mentioned some of the shots that they're taking on the defensive line Darian Mayo a guy whose name is is being mentioned a lot lately so i don't know man that margin of error is just so
3: it's slim but i i think again when i look at this group i see high upside developmental guys and i see some guys that are probably close to being ready to play i think i think it's an interesting mix of that
1: I see a conventional philosophy in an unconventional world. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. It's just they're just they're playing a completely different song than everybody else. So it's gonna be interesting to kind of see what happens there. All right, Lance,
2: your last mailbag episode. Any you want to leave us with anything? What do you got? No, nothing. Maybe I'll save all my comments for tomorrow's episode since it'll be my final episode. But uh yeah, good job, guys. Shout out, oh, yeah. excited, Shout out to your grandmother. Excited. Excited for the shopping spree. Excited to go to to mall. there. I think we'll probably go to Cheesecake Factory. That's a big she's a big fan of Cheesecake Factory. So that could be the uh the destination of choice for lunch. And then maybe Macy's, JC Penny, Nordstrom, depending on what's in Freehold Mall here in New Jersey. But we'll uh we'll see. We'll have to play that one by year. Your friends
1: at the stock exchange got to be fired up listening to this podcast, knowing what type of guy they're getting.
2: I don't have any friends at the stock exchange yet, man. I don't even know anyone who works there, which is the people I interviewed with. Are you, are you going to commute commute every day? Is that, is that kind of like, are you? It's it's a hybrid position. Um, I'm down to go in every day. Like, don't get me wrong. I live right next to a train station. I don't even need to go all the way into Penn station, like into, you know, like New York city area where like Madison square garden is, for example, to give everyone a landmark. Um, I'm closer to the World Trade Center. So I'm going to go into Newark, which is where the devils play. And then I'm going to take what's called the PATH train, take that to the World Trade Center. And then Wall Street is only like a seven minute walk from the World Trade Center. So I'm not even going to go into like Manhattan, 34th Street, Penn Station, MSG area, Times Square. don't even need to go around there, which is good. That's tourist central. i don't have to hit all the tourists
1: well we're excited for you man you got one more episode think about what you want to say how you want to say your goodbyes and then we'll we'll get to it and we'll miss you and i have no idea who our next producer is but we'll figure that out as we go as well so for director of scouting andrew ivins producer lance glenn i'm cooper Patagna. we will end the week tomorrow on thursday so best bring your energy great show we're fired up for it and we'll see you tomorrow